Hello and welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke talking about movies. Horror, sci-fi, unusual, unknown, forgotten, underappreciated, always interesting. Today we have a very special guest who's joining us. Who is it? Live in the studio. Live in the studio, an actual human being. (laughs) It is the creator of Black Box TV, Tony Valenzuela. Did what? I say that correctly? That was perfect. Uh, that was perfect. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Hello. The this creator guy, of Black Box TV. So much creativity. So much stuff. <laughs> so much. <laughs> also the director of a IFC movie, a feature called The Axmers of Velisca. That is correct. Thanks right, for the so I pronounce thanks, all these. Yeah, thanks for the name change, IFC. Appreciate that very much. <laughs> it's actually called Velisca. Velisca. And then, um, and you know... Uh, smarter people than me, they were like, we should make sure people know what it's about. And they were like, the axe murders of Liska. I was like, well, that's a choice. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember having uh, calls with a sales agent and all these different people. And I was like, oh, you definitely. (laughs) 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 And they were like, no, this is the name. And congratulations on your first film. And I was like, oh, okay, this is how it works. All right. (laughs) Welcome to filmmaking. We get to reincorporate everything that you do and change it. That is correct. Uh. I guess compromise is a big part of filmmaking. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, um, yes. I won't even try to, I'm not even going to try to make a nice answer about that. It really is like once, um, there's so many people along the process, um, and some are, some are, they're all trying to help, but it's a process, you know? And I think it's like adding an A to it, maybe helped it in VOD or helped it on Netflix. Um, it's uh, it's that it, there's a lot of decision making that goes into it that has nothing to do with the actual movie itself, and that was a surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I should have known better. Uh, I have to say, me and Kathy worked together um, yep. at BLT. Uh, Kathy was a creative director that I worked for. And that's um, a design agency. So movie that's, yeah. entertainment marketing. Yeah. So that's why you're so good at your own marketing because you know how to do that. <laughs> and that's <laughs> where you learn things about making changes that's to right. your work. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You never really own it. Right. That's right. It's never right. yours. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love Black Box TV. I love having that YouTube presence is that's where like my playground is. That's where I go to do stuff that is solely for me and, and honestly make a lot of mistakes and learn a lot of stuff in the process. So you created yeah. that. You started that. How long ago? <laughs> I wish we could have a, a picture of that face he just made. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, that sounded very intelligent. Yes. Okay, this is good. Wow. Okay, off to a good start. Ooh, aren't you fancy? <laughs> Why did you want to start Black? Is that why you want to start Black Box TV? Just so I need an outlet. It was an accident. Um, it was really an accident. The whole the whole thing was um, it was a lot of right place at the right time. But it was also there was um, I was working um, at another ad agency and I felt like I had I had done so much and I had created like you know dozens of, of pieces of key art that had been everywhere and I had um, yeah I just really hit a point where I was like this is storytelling and I want to do, because marketing is storytelling. It's like the most actually important part of the storytelling process for, for people at home, because that's where the story begins. And you, we all see it when we see a movie that's like, Oh, I'm not going to see that because the storytelling, even in the marketing, isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I had reached a point where I just really wanted, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a kid and I had, um, since I was a little, little, like, uh, I used to storyboard episodes of the Super Friends and explain them to my mom what they were, not knowing what I was doing in Crayola, and she still has some, which is so sweet. <laughs> it's, like, so nice. Um, I was reminded of that last week when I was visit- uh, visiting with her. 
Um, but it, it got to this thing where I was, I, I felt like I couldn't express myself. And I think for all of us as artists, that's like, that's the thing is like you become an artist because you can't express yourself. So you're going like, you make something to show, you know, if you, sure. if you have a crush on somebody, you, you like write a book and go this, read this, <laughs> read this book and you'll get how I feel about you, which is like the worst fucking form of communication, but it's like, that's, that's how it go. Um, and I had that feeling inside and I was really, you know, this is, um, 11 years ago, uh, Bush was in, in the, uh, was in the white house and I was, I just was um, concerned about sort of where we were heading as a, as a country. And it felt like a very strange thing. And a lot of people fell asleep at the wheel. We're sort of have the inverse of that now where everyone's awake and everybody wants to do something and not always the most helpful for the whole cause, but everybody wants to be heard. Thank you, social media, for that little gift. Um, right. <laughs> everyone. Every, yeah. Everyone. Every single person. Yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because the internet is like, it's just people shouting. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, it, it is people shouting all the time. Yeah. So anyways, uh, without going into that, uh, or we can go into that later. So, <laughs> But I was scared. Honestly, it's 2008. I'm scared. I'm having these reoccurring nightmares about the elections uh, results uh, being held back and about this sort of post-apocalyptic California that would, that would um, come under uh, martial law uh, based on a terrorist incident and right. um, that happened. And, and it just, I kept, it was just, it was, it was making its way from my dreams to my hands where I started writing a script. And the first script I wrote, which was not in final draft, it was an Adobe um, InDesign. Right. Because I didn't know, which is not the program for that, but it was one I knew. Because I started, by the way, in Photoshop, writing it in Photoshop, which was That's like so a lot of pages. You, you know? You knew That's a Photoshop. Big file. Yeah, because. But I you got it. the Cole Hogg book from uh, the Samuel French bookstore for the formatting. No, I don't know oh. what that is. I felt that was, so bad. <laughs> that was like back in back in the early, you know, back when it was typewriters and stuff. Oh. There was this. The, the formatting was called the Cole Hog formatting, and there was a book that you get at the Samuel French bookstore that told. That was a book that you bought, bought that told you how to format a yeah. script. A I had screenplay. the same book, and it, it yeah. actually it stopped me from actually writing. A it was so complicated. Yeah. It was like eight, you know, eight, <laughs> in, 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 if you got one thing wrong, they, they, they heard, studios they, will throw they, it they in the trash. Throw in the trash. <laughs> so not until the actual final draft was available that I actually write a script. Yeah, and that really stopped so, me. So you did it all wrong, yeah. and you did it anyway. I did it all wrong, um, and then it was it was like uh, we made a web series, um, and this was you know when Netflix. Uh, Netflix was still delivering DVDs. And so this was sort of a very novel idea that you would tell a story. But I was like, oh, wait, so I have this thing, you know, I have the Internet and I can tell a little story and put it on there. And 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 this is the story that I told. It was called 2009, A True Story. It came out in 2008 and was this future forecast. So it all takes place in the future. And um, it was like such a wonder. It was like one of the most wonderful um times of my creative life because I knew how far I was willing to go to tell a story. And so I would leave my job at about, um, seven o'clock, seven yeah. or like nine or 10. Well, yeah, cause I had, but I was like ghosting away from, oh, yes. from it. You know, I was, I was at BPG and I was just, I could feel it was getting, I was getting pulled out from my like, you know, 12 hour work days. Um, so I, I left, um, the dog. I the left the dog. dog. <laughs> it's haunting us. Yes. You guys hear that, right? Not yeah, just me. Okay, just, no, I don't hear a dog. Oh, maybe we... <laughs> dog. That's so, yeah, that's so real. Is this a timeout? Get Darwin to stop barking. No. Is, or is he going to stop? 
He stopped. He stopped. Oh, okay. He's part of the podcast. But we did an interview with um, Gabriel Stone, D. Wallace Stone's daughter. Wow. And Darwin barked through the whole thing. (laughs) And later I'm like, why did we not stop this? She's trying, she's having all these deep thoughts. I was like, Oh, you can hear it? Yes. Uh, but, okay, go ahead. So this will be your interview also, dog barking you. the whole yeah. time. Featuring yeah. Darwin. Darwin? Yeah. yeah. Now, Wonderful. You're, the film you're talking about, is that the one where you got music from Trent Reznor? Yes. So, okay, I remember so, when you did that. Yeah, he had just, uh, Trent Reznor had just uh, self-released Ghosts, and he had put all the music under Creative Commons so he could use his music. Oh. And... Um, Wow, that was so. That was a long time ago. Now. Yeah, I, know, right? I think about that. Um, <laughs> but I would leave my job at seven o'clock, and I would go to the liquor store, and I would get like a four pack of Red Bull, and I would go home, and I would, um, I would, I would edit into the night on iMovie for the first episode because it's I only knew what I could use. I only was able to use like what I already kind of knew, um, and. Yeah, and sometimes I wouldn't even be able to. I would forget to go to sleep, and I would, oh. I would, I would take a shower, get in the car, and play um, uh, the first song on Radiohead's "The Bends." I can't even remember it. <laughs> yeah. Inter- interplanetary, right? Oh yeah, you know yeah. whatever. Yep. Um, it was a wonderful song, and I would listen to it on the way to work, and I'd be like, "This is me relaxing. This is good. <laughs> this is better than sleep." And that happened for months, and then weekends wow. would come, and I would, and a good friend of mine at the time. Uh, you know, he was like, had a little intervention and he was like, of one. And he was like, <laughs> you have a wonderful life and a wonderful job and you are wasting your time putting films on the internet. Nobody's oh. going to watch video mm-hmm. or films on the internet. And I just remember being like, this is somebody I really trusted. I thought was quite wise. And I yeah. remember being like, oh, you can't see what I see. Right. right. And yeah. it was just like, and it, and it pulled me in and, and Wes Craven found it that Halloween and um, featured it as, as his top 10 uh, videos on YouTube for wow. Halloween when he was a guest editor. And that was like off to the races. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's very, very cool. And you were talking about editing in iMovie. That's, you know, consumery low end, but you can do some editing with that. What were you shooting? You were shooting footage oh with... <laughs> we shot... I had a friend, uh, Jeff... Um, Jeff Hunt. Hi, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry he's listening. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out, Jeff Hunt. I had this friend who was a second a second or third AD on a TV show, and he had a video camera. Mm-hmm. And so we were sh- all of the, the series took place as first person, you know, like she's talking directly to the camera, and uh, what would later be vlogging. Um, right. And she's, hol- but back then it was like she's holding this massive camera <laughs> right. trying to make it look <laughs> like it's a little camera. Because the thing is, I, I think the thing I learned very quickly was like, let your budget be your aesthetic and let your limitations yes. actually be part of the storytelling. Sure. Um, which is why I chose found footage and why I chose that it would happen in this first person narrative because. Um, yeah, because the cameras weren't that great. And it was like, it was really bad. It was on cassette. Like, I think about what I do now on an Alexa or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was on the set of It, um, I was, I'm always, you know, as a director, you're always like, well, when I get the bigger budget, I'll get the better camera. When I get this, I'll get the better. Like, you think about that. And I was on the set of It uh, two years ago, and they were shooting on the same exact camera that I use. And I was like, or maybe you yeah. suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's an aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. That's it's, very cute. And it's interesting, the technology that's available now for filmmakers that do that kind of thing. Like you're talking about, because when you were telling me about when you started doing this, I'm thinking, okay, what was the technology at that time? And 
it doesn't seem like all that long ago, but that God, technology but for technology yeah, that was ancient. like the dark ages, you know. So you've kind of learned the technology as the te- technology has improved. You've sort of adapted as you went. So you're sort of learning it as you yeah. go, right? Yeah, and it was it. <laughs> it was the desire to. Um, it's it's been the desire to. Um, to stay interested in in storytelling that had that like got me to YouTube and then you know we blew up on I started Black Box TV a, a year and a half later after that first web series because I was I had done some shows with other people um, and I was like well I just kind of want to go back to just making sure that I have uh, uh, my own version of what is storytelling online and then Black Box TV is ten years old next year um, amazing. But it was like that. It was like the the feeling of having my own space to tell a story, and also specifically to tell horror and genre stories. Mm. Just lost my train of thought. Thank you. Edit. No, <laughs> I was no. just like, and make your fucking point and shut up. <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about? God. Um, no, but, it made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, but but to your but the 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 thing that I was the thing that it's interesting. So. Black Box TV blew up and we started, you know, we started doing a ton of views and that was, was, it was interesting, but it was definitely a double-edged sword because I'm going to film school in public, you know, like Black Box TV is literally me. Like I remember when, when, um, somebody wrote a a note, it's confusing when both your characters are talking to each other, but they're both on the right side of the screen. And I was like, Oh, crossing the line. That's when I learned, Oh yeah, they have to be facing in different directions in order for it to make sense. But for a while I was just like, good shot, good shot. I mean, part of being, you know, being a photographer and working, uh, working, uh, doing gallery shoots and, and stuff like that when I was working marketing and, and interacting with talent, the discipline that it takes to, to create one frame that's really amazing. The wonderful thing about filmmaking is you have thousands, right? Yeah, yeah. to prove your point or that's prove true. your story, get across the emotion. So there's a lot more cheating um, <laughs> that you can get in it. So I would get beautiful photography, but there were some basics I didn't really know for the first two or three years. And so when uh, Black Parks blew up, I was like, okay, gotcha. I need to go make a film. This is what I wanted to do. And that led you to, like, how, how did the Axe Murders of Aliska happen? Did IFC approach you? Did you have a script and approach them? Like, how, how did you move from black box to feature? Oh, so, so, um, it's such a crazy story. I had a, I had a movie greenlit already. Um, and then I was sitting talking to Cindy Cowan in her office, and we had done just, like, a general meeting. And then afterwards she was like we just started talking about the time i had visited the Velisca axe murder house uh in Velisca, iowa and done a live broadcast and she was like that's a horrifying story you should make that movie you should make that movie and it's it's interesting too because i i think um and i talk about this quite openly but i think i had a a big difficulty with Velisca. um i think the third act i i watched it in berlin last year um they they showed it in berlin at this um at this uh, horror night oh, kind nice. of in a theater. Yeah, it was really nice. And I went there, and it was the first time I had watched it in, in two years. And uh, they were like, what? They were like, what's it like to... They asked me great questions. They were like, what's it like to... Um, to see this movie two years, you know, two years after after it was released, and I was like, it's as bitter and mad as I was when I made it, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, no. And they were like, what would you change? And I was like, I would remove the director from the third act because I could see myself. You know, watching it with all this hindsight, I could see myself being, I was so scared of the subject matter. It's such a a horrifying story. And I was trying to 
not deal with it. Quite honestly, I was, it was bad news, you know, like we had stayed there, did a live podcast. It was a bad night. Bad stuff happened that it was like, all of it was bad, but I was like, I'm getting a movie and I have a bigger budget. And and then I literally start going and, and I'm going to bring all of these things from my childhood to help me prevent dealing, you know, dealing with the fact that this is about six kids who got killed with a blunt end of an ax into the head and two parents. And it's unsolved in 1912. Right. You know, like I'm gonna, uh, I avoided it, right. you know, yeah. which is as your job as a storyteller is like, if you don't want to tell that story, then don't, uh, don't okay, try to go like, well, they want me to tell this story. So I'm going to attach all these things so that I like it too. Uh-huh. Bullshit. It comes out convoluted and you can literally <laughs> see the, the Disney, uh, <laughs> kid that I was, you know, as a young boy who steps in with a third act with a fucking HMI and blows light through the house. Like, just kidding. Everyone's good. We're all good. You know? And, and, and it was really, it was, it was quite interesting because when I was in Berlin, somebody asked the question, they're like, if you made that movie today, what would you change about it? And I really saw the third act. And I, again, like I said, a second ago, I would remove my, I would remove myself because I, th- I feel like just as artists, Removing ourselves from the process is so important so that we can do something great. Because when you, when I was like driving to the liquor store and getting the Red Bull and staying up all night, I was doing something that I didn't have a choice to mm-hmm. do or not. Mm. Like it was essential for me to, to express myself. And, and that's the same job when you take on a story. There's a, there's a short story from Richard Chismar. He's this wonderful writer um, that I worked on an audiobook with last year. And, and he has this beautiful short story. And it's, I think it's seven, eight pages long and I'm, I really want to adapt it and hopefully spend some time this uh, fall doing that because it's so open that there's so many places to insert my own personal experience in there because the story is, is, is ripe to be adapted and ripe to be made into a 90 minute feature. Um, but when you have a story like Velisca where it's a true story. Um, and it is, it's so convoluted. It's an unsolved murder, uh, to this day, even though I think I know who the killer is and I've heard different people have, you know, have opinions about mine, but, but I, I have a pr- pretty specific idea. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you go through, when you have such a big story, you got to get yourself out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie that I, that I'm on right now, uh, I really love the script. I did, um, a huge rewrite on it, um, and I really love the EP and uh, Arthur Spivak and Daniel Paul. It's like a really great group of guys together on that film. Um, but I found out by if I just tell that story and make sure that every frame, every scene, every time somebody spends a dollar so that I can say action, that that matters what, you know, that we're doing it, which really is in pre-pro and making sure the script is solid. It's funny when you have that, inc- that incredible template, you actually feel more a part of the process and it feels more like you than if you're just sort of slapping stuff on like a pastiche, which you do on your first film. And I think the great, mm. the best part of my, making your first film is the first time you realize it's not going to be everything that you want it to be. Right. And that also, by the way, it's probably your fault. That's <laughs> yeah. a good feeling, you know, cause you can change that. True. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's other people who are, who have done movies where, where they got, you know, the director was crushed uh, by the, by the above the line. And it, and it turns out to be this miss, you know, this uh, mashup and it doesn't connect. And I, my heart goes out to those guys because there's a lot of, you know, the more investors, the more people really want to see a return on their investment, the more opinions you have. Um, and I think for me, that's why, like, I love my second feature. I, I think I know what my third is. Um, I don't know if that's going to be an independent feature. I just think it's going to require a, a, a bigger budget. 
Um, but also I don't think about it that much. Um, cause I've been in production for four years and I think about when I'm taking a fucking break right now, what are we going to stop? Um, but also not wanting to stop because it's yeah. here, Yeah, you know? Well, it's funny because we, because I mean, you were in movie marketing as I am still in movie marketing, but it's never your idea. Like, you know, they always will take your idea. So I think what's driving you, you know, what was maybe a driving you initially was like just to have something that's yours, even if it's fucked up. It's better to have something you did, you made all the choices, and you're the last word. Whereas you never get that in marketing. It's always the studio's word or the art director's or, you know, creative director. There's so many opinions changing your work. And as he's getting completely the dog, mauled the, Darwin, by Darwin, Darwin, right Darwin the dog is like jumping on my lap. First, it was like he's licking my hands. I'm he's like, like, you're like, amazing. Like, he's licking my thigh, yeah. and then he jumped up. I was like, fuck, I don't know what to do now. So it's like, he loves he's like, you. He's like Runs. trying to listen. He's like, I'm listening. Running out of options here, Darwin. <laughs> He loves you. That's impressive. Yeah. But that I think that is like part of the creative process is owning that, which you were talking about. It's like just you made your own mistakes, you did what you need to do, and then you move on and learn more. You and know, I love that idea. It's it's interesting, especially sitting with you you here today. I think about um Kathy loves horror movies and was into horror movies, used to talk about horror movies, and I would be like that's you know that's crazy like horror movies are they're so scary and why would you like i was very limited in my understanding of horror movies back then um but the art that i created the stuff that was coming out of me was all trauma and genre right Mm -hmm. and it was like this this mashup that was happening together um in the yeah and and it's i I think i think too it's like I, i learned in this process um i I feel like I'm name dropping all over the place, but I got a chance <laughs> to spend some time with Guillermo del Toro and, nice. and I was, I was talking to him and he said, fear is the enemy of the world. And, and I was literally working on something right then where the main character, this, um, uh, this guy who, the ruler of limbo, his name was Rafe, which is fear spelled backwards. And I just, I, I think, I think that, that being in my early thirties, which I was then and, and being afraid of everything and being afraid and, mm-hmm. and, and, being afraid of taking risks and, you know, I just inverted it. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to make a billion mistakes because I could feel myself sandbagging my life against any potential flood or anything that would happen. And that that became more important than actually, um, living. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you realize that you had, you have to create to live, you know, and if you're just like, you know, putting all these roadblocks up, then you're going to just, you know, yeah, because how devastating much? Yeah, how, how much is your life worth? Is it worth three weeks? Three weeks of vacation a year? Yeah. And I was like, yes, because I'm also like, you know, I mean, I, I'm from Fontana, California. When the when when me or my brothers and sisters would break a window, a piece of cardboard went up. It never went down. You know, the whole time we lived there, and we were like <laughs> exceptionally poor. And so just having like a job and paying rent and having a car sure. was such a huge thing. Then once you do that, then you're like, well, this is the peak, and it's like, well, but I still have to live another thirty fucking years, and yeah. this is fucking boring. <laughs> you know, you know, and it is yeah. it is those feelings, but. It it was, it was, um, I, I was in a relationship. This, the trigger was I was in a relationship and totally got my heart broken. Mm-hmm. And I remember like ugly crying in the, in the middle of the hallway in my place in Culver city, like, <laughs> you know, fetal Aww. position going, like having that, like, um, middle school cry that oh, I hadn't no. had in many years. Right. And I was in so much pain and had nowhere to put it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, 
that unlocked it, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. See, that's sometimes you need either a trauma or you just need to, to throw the fear away and just go, I'm going to fuck it up, but I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because what, is, what happens after this, you know, what happens at the end of this life? Do they go like, you know, where's like, yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't, ha- I don't ha- know. And I don't have a concept, but I definitely know that you're not <laughs> fucking taking it with you. Yeah, you know, exactly. right. yeah. you're leaving it. So make it good. Cause the Pharaoh shit is all still there. <laughs> you know, yeah. They found all that stuff. They're like, it's Oh, these people got buried with the Pharaohs. <laughs> What a great way to go. Here they are in their temples. But it's it's rare to hear people saying, I was completely inspired to change my life and do my follow my dreams and do this massive thing that I always wanted to do just because one day I kind of felt like I wanted to do it. You know, there's always something behind it. There's always some driving thing like what, you know, what they might call a midlife crisis or or an early midlife crisis or some feeling of, you know, I'm not really contributing or I'm not doing what I really want to do. You have to, you have to reach sort of a breaking point. It yeah. seems I have, I, it's, we, um, but we all, the interesting thing is like I created, I learned Photoshop version one, no layers, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. When I was working at a yeah. record company and all you had was command Z. That's yeah. the yeah. only, you only had, I think undo. you had one undo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you would do your Gaussian blur that would take six hours, seven hours right. overnight to render. You would come back and go, Ten mm, percent, undo ten yeah. percent, you know, and then you would come check it a day later. And oh. and I think that my willingness to learn stuff and to be open had definitely sort of stopped, and that that was beginning of it opening again. And then I was like, I'm gonna do the things that scare me. I'm gonna do the things that are the most challenging. It started. I would do big things like jumping out of a plane just to see what would happen. Um, <laughs> that sounds so crazy. Oh, it is crazy. But it, but it was like, and it was also with a things, parachute, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can fly. By the way. I learned to fly in that moment. It was me, just like a passenger jet on your way somewhere. It's like me and R. Kelly smashing into the earth. Yes. Um, but it was. But it's, it's the. Um, yeah, it's the love of being scared and the comfort with being constantly uncomfortable and feeling like I don't know enough has led me through so many different software programs. Uh, in, in, I learned uh, Final Cut Pro and then I learned Final Cut X and then I learned Adobe Premiere because I hated turning in Final Cut Pro projects to 10 people who had to convert them all into Adobe Premiere. <laughs> right. And then um, I learned a program called Unity, which is uh, 3D modeling and they were using it for video games but I realized that if I outputted uh, 360 degree images, that I could create VR straight right. directly yeah. in 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 Unity. And that stuff is great on on your YouTube channel. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I just I was watching a bunch of them, you know, to prepare for this, and I said this stuff is really good. Thank you so yeah, much. I mean, uh, and it too is was is, is your latest one, right? Yeah. Did yeah. a lot. How did you happen upon that? Um, Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers and YouTube called and they were like, Hey, you know, we loved what you did two years ago. Um, and would you like to, to, um, would you like to come and, and, uh, do a VR experience? We built a place on Highland in Hollywood. And I was like, yeah, of course, because I love, I love Stephen King. And I, I think that's the, as an artist, um, I connect with him a lot because he's able to process trauma and horror together and his characters are really well written, yeah. but I got there and we did it and I did that project with a maze VR, um, which is a, uh, 
an Oculus partner that I've been working with for the last six months because um, they've they developed some incredible cameras and and done some stuff that nobody else is doing. So you're looking at super high quality VR. So it's no longer this like pixelated weird perspective. And my approach to VR VR is I'm shooting it the same way uh, in similar ways. I shouldn't say this. At this point, three and a half years later. I'm finally at the point where I can get the same stuff in VR that I that I get in films, which is like incredible close-ups in a 3D space, moving on gimbals, um, doing digital moves, um, so that we're we're not going like it's in VR, it's special. Look around, you can see everything. Isn't that cool? It's like no, no, this is a cinematic experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, all technologies go through that novelty stage where you're showing off all the things it can do, and then the people who really do art with it get it and you start seeing the story <laughs> as opposed to the technology. Well, I was at a photo shoot with Michael Muller who does a lot of the photography for like Marvel movie posters. And he on the side does a lot. He did a lot of like swimming with sharks without cages. He does a lot of photography with sharks out in the ocean. Then he started doing VR, like VR experience with sharks out in the ocean oh, wow. without cages. And I remember we were on a shoot and he goes, you got to see it. So he just slaps his VR camera on your head and you're like, okay, this will be weird. And he starts showing this and you feel like you're in the water with these sharks. And afterwards I was like, what made you get into VR? He's like, there's such a huge appetite for VR right now. Like everybody wants VR. He goes, so he goes, I was kind of done with the sharks and now I want to do all this VR. Like it's like, interesting. so it's a great, it's another avenue of content because we're so content driven now. That to get into VR, when I saw your stuff was VR, I'm like, oh, that's so smart because that's where everybody wants now. It's like they all go in VR and, and it's and short it's, form. Yeah, and, and it's the same as like when we started on YouTube. Um, when we started on YouTube and, and when I started Blackbox TV, I had a lot of friends, um, really talented friends, who were shooting everything on a red and doing it with an Alexa. I'm not the Alexa wasn't even around then really, but they were doing it on a red and they could do like one short every six months and mm-hmm. it was they couldn't really build up an audience or any sort of following because they were just not out they weren't creating enough stuff and so i went really on the cheap you know i was using like d as soon as the dslrs as soon as the canon 5d i think it was came out and we had access to great lenses that's when i was like okay it's ready we can start doing our little mini films the same thing applies to vr because in the beginning it's like um uh like if i want i can go pick up a a camera from google from the youtube space la it's like a forty thousand dollar camera but it's like, um, and it's a wonderful camera. Thank you, Google, for letting me use that camera so many times. But I just want to say, it's a pizza box. It's huge. You know, you're like, you are you are putting that on a gimbal. You know what I mean? It's really like, okay, it's like a fridge. Okay, we're here. Everyone, just move around the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Pretend like you're not seeing it. Yeah. And so for me, it was it was it was working with the Theta first, and then Insta 360 until I got until um, I I was I was still frustrated because it was it was still uh, not high enough resolution. And then with Amaze VR, it's like they created, they built their own camera. And then me and Eric, the the head of production there, we sort of gamified how we would shoot stuff. It's really cool in a way that we're getting shots. Like if you watch that it, that it chapter two uh, VR video on Black Box TV, mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah really cool moves that haven't yes. been done at that high quality. I was just going to say that. I said, this is really cool stuff and it's very cinematic and you're watching it, but then you go, Oh my God, I can move it all around. And then there's, you know, fun hidden stuff kind of, you know, when very, you do very all cool. the stuff. It's, so it's a lot going on. It's the know? only time I've ever jumped at a video I've shot ever. <laughs> I knew this scare was coming in the swinging clown room, you know, yes. at the, at the, yeah, 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 at the yeah. yes. uh, that was yeah. great. Yeah. And when he, that, 
person is suddenly in front of my face and I've like perfected getting that shot and it being not blurry, but I, I went, ah, and then I stopped and I was like, no, no, this didn't scare me. This is stupid. I made this, this is dumb. It's not scary. And then I watched again, same reaction. Then I started closing my eyes when it would pass by during QC. It's scaring me. I don't want to see it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty amazing if something scare you in the short term on the internet. I mean, that's, that's not, right. doesn't happen. Anymore. No, it doesn't. That stuff's really cool. And I love that there's studios that will do that, like take, you know, take the leap and do some sort of experimental stuff. I mean, that's, you know, that's something because we know how hard it is for promotion for having the studios do anything risk taking at all. I I really love Warner's because they did something in New York. Um, They did something in New York, in New York and flew me out there. And that was the first VR video I did for them. And that was for Lights Out, that brilliant. um, There's a second movie I heard, but I I haven't seen it. The first one I really, really loved. Yeah, Lights Out was really cool. With Stephen Lang, right? So good. So good. So good. And so everything's practical and he's really smart about it. And it's just like, it's like that Nightmare on Elm Street thing where the rules are so succinct Mm -hmm. and they make a lot of sense. Um, But then after that, I've done, I I think this is my fourth one for them. I think, I think this might be my fourth one for them. Um, But this was, uh, this was (laughs) like, this is by far my favorite. I feel like we actually finally got to the point where we can really deliver something. Um, it was really one of the one of the marketing people and it official tweeted it out and I was like, okay, good, oh, we got it. Okay, cool. That's so cool. We did it. All right. I was in Utah and I was like, Mom, this is so cool. And she was like, What does it mean? <laughs> like what you just said <laughs> Look to me. Look how great it is. It's like, I don't get it. I was like, it official literally just tweeted us out. It's like amazing. It's like really cool. And the people weren't able to supporting. Blah, blah, blah. And she was just like, cool. What does that mean? I don't know what any of those yeah. words are. <laughs> That's really funny. She's so, but then she's so sweet. Like she, uh, she watched the video um, in the Oculus headset that we, uh, the, the it VR video. Oh, and I yeah. literally was in her ear the whole time. I was like, I turned the volume way down. I was scared by my mom. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, there's a jump scare coming here right now. It's not that scary. It's just going to be sound. Okay, there's a jump scare coming here right now. This person's going to be right in your face, like inches away from it. Okay, so if you want, you can close your eyes. Then. That's so cute. That's so whole time. Oh, you should have videotaped it. What, what, other, what, what other VR things are... Um, that are coming up. Do you have any other ones or recent ones? Yeah, so I really love the Freddy Krueger one. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Which isn't that scary, but was for me just like um, sort of paying homage to Wes Craven and Bob Schaefer and just, just um, I, I have a show that's launching on AmazeVR on Oculus on October 11th of this year and it's called The Nightmare Tapes. And I was like, before I create something called The Nightmare Tapes, I need to go back and look at Freddy Krueger and see sort of what's already been done. And in doing that and going through the films and just remembering watching it for the first time on a video cassette in my sister's best friend's living room <laughs> and not being allowed to do it yeah. and how fucking terrified I was because you couldn't... It, and it's funny because the end of the movie, too, which Wes actually wanted them to not... He, he, yeah, he wanted the happy ending, that. as you guys right. probably already know. Right. But I loved the way it ended with the not happy ending because right. that just, mm-hmm. it was like stuck in my head. And I think that's one thing I learned with Black Box TV is in order to give people, this sounds so dark, but in order <laughs> to give people nightmares, you must give them something that they can't process easily. Right. Yeah. It can't be a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, you have to right. go a beginning middle and your problem <laughs> yes. you know? that's actually a really good template yeah. you know? <laughs> really good. well the, that image of her being pulled through the window yeah. you know the one I'm of talking course. about yeah, yeah, yeah. that was so f- 
freaky weird. It's like the last shot in what was that movie we were talking about, the um, tourist trap? Yes. With the dummies in the car. Yes. It, yeah. After the movie's oh, yeah, over, yeah. Yeah. when you see it in the theater, when it's over, you're like, what the hell did I see? Do you, ever, you ever have you seen, seen Tourist Trap? No. It's from 1979, and David Schmaller, I think, wrote and directed it. And it just has this very Creepy haunting, mannequins. weird wow. scene that's just so strange. It's like mannequins coming to life in a, in a cheesy, you know those tourist attractions where there's like mannequins of Davy Crockett or something. Yeah. I used them in Velisca as the murder victims in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah, yeah. set up this right. is like a strange exactly. disrespectful thing that I love. A diorama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is one of those kind of things, but the you know, a bunch of teenagers show up and they all get killed one by one. Yeah. And at the very end of it, I mean, I guess it's a spoiler, but yeah, it's really the movie's like not 1, a spoiler. Years old. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this great shot of the last survivor and she's just I guess she was killed or something. Or, I guess so. But she's driving her car and in the car with her are all these mannequins. And the way they're sitting there, they're just they're it's just this weird And she has a weird smile on her face, like yeah. very odd, not like the character. And it's just like really creepy way to end. You know? It's a really weird ending. <laughs> Like the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street, where you, mm-hmm. like you're saying, there's something hard to process about about that because it's not it's not a normal bad ending. It's not a normal unhappy ending, even. And it all made sense within the framework of yeah. the film. The dream, yeah. yeah. Well, I like that idea that you know you're not just going to give them something easy because especially if yeah. you like horror, you're used to a certain rhythm. You're like, here's the setup and the first act, and here's the second thing, and then oh, they're going to bring out this one big thing at the end, and then it's all going to be over. Evil conquered, done. I like movies that don't just do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're not always like the rhythm is so weird. You're kind of like, was that even good? But at least they did something different, and so that's always kind of cool. The Vavitch was like that, even though I didn't mm. appreciate. Um, spoiler alert on the Vavitch. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Like you, can see, yeah. you can see it anywhere. But the, there was an interesting thing. Mm, no, I kind of I, I disagree with what I just said because <laughs> they really like floated away into a CGI ending that sort of like it would have been interesting to stop right before that point because mm-hmm. then you would have been is this is this real or is this not with with Velisca specifically like I when I was watching in Berlin I was like oh I see the movie. They go outside, they're in the sun, they've escaped, they've worked together, mm-hmm. and isn't that awesome? And it's not. As the fire trucks show up, we cut to night, and they're all dead around the house. Mm-hmm. Because that's the truth of that much. When you have that right. much evil and that much, and even their relationships were so flawed and fraught yeah. that there was nothing to connect them to go that they could overcome. Right. It was, it was the convenience of looking for an uh, ending in post. <laughs> So are there movies that have inspired you along the way, like movies from your past? Or like, is there anything that is especially impactful for, to, for you in, in context of your filmmaking? Yeah. Um, I would say, hmm, because it changes so much. Um, Midsommar was incredible. That's like oh, my yeah. favorite thing I've seen probably since uh, It won. Oh, wow. Like my favorite thing where I was like, oh, this is a complete... This is a complete thought, beautifully illustrated through photography and performance and writing. Yeah. And Ari's awesome. Yeah, I went and saw yeah. that movie because my son wanted to go see it, and we got invited. Um, we got invited to the premiere, and nice. And I went up to Ari afterwards, and I was like, "I've never seen your first film because the way people described it would just." fuck with me too much but my son wanted to see this film and we're here and they like shook hands and met and it was really sweet, <laughs> so sweet. but i was like thank you so much like because he didn't cheat 
you could see when he was getting close to the barrel of the gun and you could feel it. There was moments in the second act, in the first act, I mean, in every act, there's these moments where he could have gone an easier route. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he took a much harder journey. Yeah. Um, and did it beautifully. I mean, he's using goldenrod, the color goldenrod, yeah. yeah. right. all throughout the movie, which yeah. is this bright yellow, which is from mm-hmm. when you're a kid, it's like a kindergarten color. And he took all of these not horror things and brought them into genre. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's when I was like, okay, cool. I got a lot of work to do. And I'm still yeah. inspired, you know, because when you see, there's movies that I see that, that, that make me think that horror is not an interesting genre. And then there's movies that I see um, like Midsommar or, or, or it uh, chapter one where I'm just like, Oh no, this is, there's a huge space here. There's so much you can still do. My influences for horror definitely go um, something wicked this way comes. I think. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, that movie was, Mm -hmm. was I've always been a Ray Bradbury fan, but that movie was, had this magical darkness. Yeah, it really did. I remember that feeling too, with that film that definitely had a feeling. Yeah. In fact, there's, it's the weirdest. I saw it chapter two last night and there was this shot when this, they're walking through Derry and they're walking through town and the shot looks exactly like the barber shop from Something Wicked This Way Comes. Hmm. And then there's the mirror maze inside the, the canal, um, the Derry Canal Days fun house. But I was, I definitely was like, oh, it was such a, it was almost like an exact replica. And there were so many, oh, there's a lot of homages in, in uh, It Chapter 2 where he's like, um, there's, a, there's a thing moment and I, uh, from the John Carpenter's A Thing that when you see it, you'll be like, oh, it's good to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, felt so, it felt really wonderful. Um, so I would say uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. There was, um, I, was I was raised in a, a pretty religious household. So all of my you know, <laughs> movies are very, um, are, are like dark Disney. So it's going to be, oh, it's really going <laughs> to yeah. be bad. Those of you listening at home, there you go. This is my life. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you and make up some shit. Oh, The Shining. It's like, oh, that's a hard one. You know, like, yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Suspiria, it's like, oh, no, that's like, that's a, come on. Come on. You can just read come a blog on. about that shit. What I can tell you <laughs> is something we could this way comes um, because of the, because of the fight with evil and the threat of age, you know, that your age was going to take you and right. watching his father when he's ripping up pages, when the, when, when the Mr. Dark, the head of that carnival, is ripping up pages, counting them down the years yeah. of his father as he's like, and now you're too old, now you're too old, because he's promising him that he can give him all those years back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with each passing moment that he doesn't take in the Faustian bargain, he rips out another page and counts it down. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. And then there's, um, then there's uh, Watcher in the Woods, which, which is uh, Betty Davis's last film, and... Um, that's a film I went back and watched a couple years ago and I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't hold up. But, but, <laughs> but the thing that it gave me is that the thing that you're terrified of might actually be there to help you and you're just afraid of it uh, mm. because it's new. And the last one um, of, of my like true inspiration from way back, I'm inspired now by artists and scripts and stories and like, you know, it's, but the, the ones that really stayed with me to this day, um, is the black hole, which was Disney's uh, oh, box sure. office bomb. Yeah. Cause it's, there's a part where they go through the black hole and they go into hell Yeah, and it's this, yeah. and it was interesting because, um, in the show that I'm working on now, the nightmare tapes, um, the VR show I'm doing, I saw remnants of that movie starting to show up in the construction. Um, because, uh, 
Oh, so this, this, really quick. So the Nightmare Tapes is a, is, a, is a series about a woman who is recording her sister's nightmares. And um, she has parasomnia, and she's trying to record her nightmares so that she they can find out what's going on. Why is she plagued with parasomnia? Why does she sleepwalk? Why has this been a problem for her since she was a kid? But then what happens is when people start watching the playbacks of those nightmares is people are changed by just watching them back. There's a, there is an entity in there that spreads through whoever watches the tapes back. Mm-hmm. So when we start the series, and this is not a big spoiler because you learned this in the first episode, but everyone is dead from go. And you're watching these, the tapes of what happened to them. But the world that they're... It's really interesting, too, because when I first uh, thought of this this thing, oh, we'll record nightmares and it'll be like a sci-fi thing and a horror <coughs> thing and um, and it's an impossible thing. It doesn't really exist. I was at a um, screening for a friend of mine's documentary, um, I Am Human, I think is the name, from director Terrence Southern. And uh, Dr. Chantel Pratt is doing that exact thing. And so I met her at the screening <laughs> and then we ended up shooting, we ended up filming at her in her lab at the University of Washington. So I think it's it was really so the design of the design of it is is um, it's quite interesting. It's sort of retro the design of the show. Um, it's some of it's a it's a choose your own adventure. So you can sort of navigate uh, through it. There's uh, it's I'm very excited. I'm very excited about it. But it's like you put so much work into something. Yeah. It's like f- four months on that. It's like a week on the it video yeah. and it's just that like you never know which one's going to connect, but, um, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really excited to tell that story. And that's like, uh, true Collins, uh, is starring in that Monique Coleman, my dear friend, uh, who reached a lot of fame with high school musical. She's, uh, and Jessica Lee Amelie. They're like part of, I work with a lot of the same actors again and again, cause I do such weird, crazy shit. Like, Hey, we're going to be filming with VR cameras on Whidbey Island, Washington. Your plane leaves in two weeks. Here's a script. You good? And they're like, yeah. meh, okay. So, right. yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. You know, so I, I really like the, the the team that I work with because they're they're really they're it's it's like um, as a director, um, when I was when honestly, Kathy, like I, as a director, I thought I was going to be in charge of everything. You know, I'm like I'm a director <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm the boss. And blah, blah, blah. no, you're not. You're literally a traffic cop for better ideas than yours. You know, <laughs> you're like trying to get to this thing that you're all sharing. That's you know? interesting. Yeah, it's a collaboration. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's always and good. working with the, you know the, your own troop, you know the people that you can trust is comfortable. And that makes sense. And when's that, when's this going to drop? Yeah, so that's launching October 11th um, on Oculus on their platform on Amaze VR, um, gotcha. and you can watch it on the Oculus Go, the Oculus Rift, or the Oculus Quest. Wow! So, Great. And then also additionally, because I I, I, want, I should mention Black Box TV is launching on the Vive, which is which is another one of the big players um, in October. So we're bringing a bunch of our content plus new content to them. So I'm really excited about that. And you have so much content on black so box much. TV. I mean, it's just, they're just, there's, there's a lot of stuff to watch. And so that's exciting. Yeah. Very, you very cool. You're cranking it out, man. Cranking <laughs> it. You, oh my God. We could all learn from you. It's well, following you're... your passion. And then it's not like, you know, you want to put out the content cause you love it. I'm so, I'm so curious. I'm going to turn the tables here. What are you, what are you afraid of? What's your, what's your fear? That, that's a good question. Anyone else have an answer? I think Kathy's not afraid of anything. I'm afraid. I'm Kathy. always afraid. Um, <laughs> Kathy's think, afraid to watch movies that have any animals getting hurt. Yeah, in them. I'm afraid of animal pain. Um, I think, you know, probably the classic stuff like afraid of failure, right afraid on. of, um, you know, 
being uh, I don't know how to say it without sounding <laughs> like it's creepy, but it is creepy. Um, like being overpowered, whether it's like mm-hmm. you know being uh, overpowered by a boss or overpowered by you know a stranger, like just not being in control. So I think part of that is failure and part, you know, it's all those little self doubt things in your head where you're like, I'm not good enough. What am I going to do? That, that to me is scarier than I'm not afraid of giant monsters. Yeah, I'm not yeah, afraid yeah. of giant spiders. I'm but not, you're afraid of the real stuff because right. that stuff really affects your life. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm afraid of people mostly because you just never know. There's great people in the world and there's horrible people in the world. But it's so interesting what you said, like, I'm afraid of failure. And I was talking to my sister when I was visiting my mom last week. And I was like, and she was like, I, you know, she was talking about, she wants to change her job. And blah, blah, blah. and she was asking me, like, how did you do that? And, and and I was like, oh, I did it because I didn't have a choice. Right. It was the thing. I had picked a project that I cared so much about that I didn't have a choice. So then everything was dictated. And then once I got into it, I realized the only thing guaranteed was failure after failure after yeah. failure. And that and all of those failures yeah. would all, like success never showed up in the way I thought it would and failure right. never did either. And some of my biggest right. projects with the best people I made the most money are the biggest pieces of shit. It's just the nature <laughs> of it yeah do you know and so 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 the the thing for me is like it all it all it's it's one life and like one journey mm-hmm. so you can do anything that you fucking want to do exactly. it's that do you want and this is the thing because I, I asked myself a lot this in the last couple of years because i've been in production a lot and i'm really picking and choosing what i'm doing now um because i give everything to everything i work on so i don't i don't want to just keep doing that mm-hmm. i want to um, I was always thought I had to prove myself to other people, but I was just trying to prove myself to myself. Now I'm like, get over yourself. Like it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> That's bud. very good advice. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. all it's it's all good. But it's the thing I think about the most now is is do you want the life or do you want the lifestyle? Because you know I grew up thinking, you know, neither one of my parents were commercial artists or worked in entertainment, and I grew up thinking, well, when I have the really nice house and the really nice car and all this kind of stuff uh, and stuff. Mm-hmm. then that will mean a success for me as an artist. Right. Yeah. And so then you start doing all of these things to keep that lifestyle yeah. going. And then your life veers in a direction where you're literally like working on the project based upon what your fee is, you know, how much. Um, and I, and it's yeah. funny because I haven't done many projects that way because I'm just not, I don't have a like, I don't have that setting of going like, Mm, I don't want to lie. This is a good podcast and let's keep it true. Sometimes it's a hustle and sometimes you're just going to pay your rent mm-hmm. and you just don't want to be in those positions. Yeah. Right. And so when I think, so when I work on a project, especially something that's going out into, in, you know, is it going to make money for the investor? Is it going to make money for the EP? Is it going to make all, you know, all this kind right. of stuff? I really try to make sure I cast my above the line, which is like your executive producer, your producer, your financer. Like you have to cast those people too. Mm. Yeah. Because if you, I, I had this, um, I had this really interesting, I'm monologuing a little bit, by the way, but if, love it. If, if I am, if I am, and this happens to a lot of us when we start out because you, you are so desperate to make a film, but if I am meet an EP and I am full of shit and trying to bullshit him, then I'm going to meet an EP who is also trying to bullshit me too. Cause we're connecting on that level and the film will be bullshit because right. we can't, we can't, that's true. We can't together make something that's honest and genuine and took a lot of hard work if we're not ready to do that yet. Yeah. And that's the thing I think that, that people don't understand about the idea of Holly, like Hollywood, yeah. oh, it's Hollywood and everything's fake, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, it's like we work in fiction, but you don't have to live in fiction. And if you do, Oh God, yeah. it makes it tough. That's Lots. True. I've 
I've spent lots of money with lawyers to learn my little lessons. Oh, yeah. wow. really? <laughs> yeah. That's a good lesson. You don't want to learn it that way. No. Um, yeah, I, it's that's always a good year when I'm not getting sued. I'm oh. like, good job. Oh, you really? hung out with the right people this year. <laughs> Yay. Oh. Oh, you get of? to where you can spot the people who haven't learned those lessons, too. Yeah. And yeah. That's what's good to know, too, when you get <clears throat> to be as old as I am. <laughs> his age is always a, uh, yeah. a subplot. A running theme of his thousands of I'm, years on the planet. I'm 400 years old. <laughs> okay, let's go around the room, though. What, so what are you afraid of? Yeah. Getting old. No. Um <laughs> I I have the typical some typical fears. I have those fears of claustrophobia and things. I and I mm-hmm. get little panic attacks when I get into what I call um anomalous geometries. Like if I go into a room that's not quite um correctly angled. Squared, like a ninety degree. I completely understand. That's it's amazing. Weird. Yeah. But it's a uh, um like sometimes when I go to places in Europe, like in big temples or something, I went up into Saint Paul's Cathedral in London. And I went up into the dome, and there's a walkway around the interior of the dome. And above my head was the curve of the dome, hmm. and I was in a round room, and I looked <laughs> down, and below me were tiny, tiny people down there inside a building. And all of a sudden, the geometry of the building twisted something in my head, and I had to immediately walk at a sort of a rapid pace out of the building. <laughs> Did you get was it like a vertigo moment? Like a... it, it was weird. It was almost like I I cannot be here. I can't be here. Overwhelmed. Yeah. And I remember a vampire story I read where they explained the the cross thing with vampires. That the reason that's not like a Christian thing with the cross. It wasn't that vampires can't stand the image of something that relates to Christ or goodness or Jesus, but it's the it's this this right angle geometry that they see and it and it warps their minds in a way that they go ah you know (laughs) and in a way i kind of i applied it to my feelings about anomalous geometries and it's not it's not just being up high in there because i've gone in other rooms that were you know like octagonal rooms or something or rooms that had um really high ceilings (laughs) or something sounds weird but those are more phobias i think um Fears, you know, phobias of. I always hate the idea of uh, being in handcuffs, being confined. I don't know if anyone really likes that. Well, I guess some. Oh, people some like people that. are very. Speak that. for yourself. Some people. I, like say, well, I don't know when that came out of my mouth. I said that's not even true at all. But fears in the context of like a horror setting or a horror story. I think the stories that work the best for maybe me, fears that hold I, you back. Ooh. Right. Oh. Fears that might. Yeah, those fears hold me live. back because they keep me from they kept me from going up into the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, you know, yeah. when I was in Paris, it's like, nap, can't do it. No wish. <laughs> oh. I'm like, I lost an opportunity. Mm. But as far as in the context of like a horror film or whatever, I think the standard ones that that affect me the most the idea of somebody that you love and trust not being who you think they are. Oh yeah. To me, that's a <sighs> fundamental horror Peach. because you know you're you're Rosemary's Baby type thing, mm. where this person that you love and trust the love of your life is conspiring and has been conspiring against you for a while with satan with something else or some (laughs) kind of yeah some other entity (laughs) and that people have been conspiring against you behind your back and you've been completely oblivious to it that that idea is i think the core of some of the best horror you know there was a there was a i really love the uh 
anomalous geometry. I think about because I think about that because in VR you have to be careful with your horizon line, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful with, yeah. Because I do a lot of camera moves that will make you sick if I don't give you points for yeah, your I brain. Yeah, I can't do VR because of that. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll give people points of of, and then also be very steady if we're doing it live yeah. action, like we're going through a rotating. Uh, okay. We're going through that rotating oh, no. thing Just thinking with, about a gim- it, like, with a gimbal, and we yeah. had to be like we were walking like half a foot per, you know, just tiny feet. And it looks in the video like we're moving pretty fast, but we were going micro slow because we didn't want people to get sick. I think I think the the um, what so what was the second thing you talked about real quick? I just of course went off the on second a tangent. fear. The- Oh, fr- uh, people that you, that you trust. Know. People that you yes. trust. Yeah. yeah. So there was a movie. There was a movie, and I'd been trying to find it for a long time. It was on. It was a TV show movie. I don't know what it is, and I'm curious if you guys, if you guys know, because it was one of those moments where the these all these people, somebody that you think you know turns against you, and it was there were there's this family they were traveling to national parks and they're going along the desert and they stopped at this one like really cool little like park. Um, like RV home kind of thing in the desert. And there is a point where they, it's revealed that they're all in a cult. Race with the devil. Race with the devil. Is that what yeah. it's called? Loretta Swit. And when they all look uh, at each other at the swimming pool like this. Yeah. Oh, is, <laughs> that? Wow. is that? Ra- I think it's Race with the race Devil. Race with the Devil. Yeah. It's, it's a, they're in a Winnebago or something. Yeah. yeah. yeah and it's, uh, it's late 70s, early 80s. 77, yeah. 78, I think. Yeah, that I was a staple on that. Uh, on is that that famous John Travolta face melting at the end, or is that someone no. else? That was something else. That was that's okay. called Devil's, Devil's Rain. Devil's oh, okay. yeah, it was Ernest Race, Borgnine. Race with the Devil was. I know Loretta Swit was in it. I can't remember. Oh, uh, you guys know your shit. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I remember that movie. Scared the shit out of me too. The same sort of vibe. Like, uh oh, we're like in trouble. Yeah. All of a sudden, these people that we liked and trusted are like exactly the opposite of what you want to deal with in the middle of nowhere. Of course, being in the middle of nowhere is is a scary thing anyway, whether it's in an urban area or in the, or in the middle of the desert, if you're not comfortable with that area, that's, that's one of my fears. Yeah. It's like traveling. I love traveling, but it's a little bit like if things just go off a little bit, I get a little nervous. Well, travel travel horror horror is a thing. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like where there was the ruins. Or there's so many of those things. Hostel. Tourist just go. Yeah, tourist is. So, like, so, yours, so, of course, I used to ask you yours. What are so well, travel horror, well, which tra- is really interesting? Well, yeah. just I love to travel, but I really, uh, I have to sort of plan it out. And if we go off on a tangent, I'm a little nervous. Like if, if it I starts, starts going the wrong way, I want to pull back and let's get back to the hotel, regroup. You know, I'd, it, when I was younger, I would backpack through Europe for four months and I, I was fine. But now uh, older... The family, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little more. I can play close to the vest. So traveling, I love it, but it's also like let's keep to the let's keep to the game plan. <laughs> yeah. And what about? So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And, and uh, well, another general fear is just uh, putting myself out there. You know, as a writer, I've written plenty of scripts, and for years I said I don't want to show these to anybody, and I did that forever. And then finally, I made a short film, and that was even nervous having people watch it and what they thought of it and stuff. But I've let that go. You know. Yeah. So, so that's I've kind of cured that one. I let that go, too. I've spent many years out here trying to be a writer, too, and wrote a a zillion scripts and tried and tried and tried. And I used to get that fear of... Because I do visual art for movies and TV shows and animation and graphics and stuff. And I've gotten to the point where that no longer scares me. (laughs) I don't care what people think of me with, with respect to that, you know. But there's a... 
there used to be this thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's a fear um, of being exposed as a phony. Oh yeah, but oh, yeah, oh. the imposter syndrome. <laughs> imposter <right>? syndrome. <laughs> yeah. This is guaranteed. Huge. This is guaranteed that you will have fear of failure. Yeah, and the voice going, "You suck, and you're not good enough." Yep. Mm-hmm. You never have an like. If you had more money, more time, more education, more all the mores, mm-hmm. right? And then and and uh, imposter syndrome. Those are a given. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much a part of my life that I'm just like, oh well, like. Yeah, like with some days on set, I was some days I I mean I have I, I I have a little practice before I go to set each time I go, but like there'll be some it doesn't even happen anymore. But it's just it's not like I solved it. It's just right. like I was like, Oh yeah, no, everything's shit and I'm shit. Fuck off. Right. I gotta go fucking get to set. It's five o'clock in the morning, the sun's coming in three hours. I don't have time. Yeah. You're bullshit. And it just becomes a matter of This like, is normal. It just becomes it just becomes because then because you know, it's like like I was telling my sister, I was like I was like, look, like twenty percent of the things that I've worked on or pitched or whatever, I, I am proud of yeah and 80% of it was getting to those 20 or going away from those 20 to find it like every I would still be just making YouTube videos if I wanted to feel fucking good about myself at some point you just gotta go let's fucking let's get dirty let's make mistakes like it's only sure you know and and um yeah yeah Yeah. interesting because what you guys are describing everybody feels it it doesn't matter who you are it's like with uh with with, i saw some of the reviews were coming out sort of odd uh, sort of off about uh it too and that's when i was like congrats to andy and barbara brother and sister since mama making stuff happen giving a shit about each other and like when i met barbara in toronto i've rarely met a person who was like so stunningly beautiful and just as passionate and smart and an amazing woman. I was literally like, fuck, you're amazing. Like I have, like, I was like, Oh my God, like you're amazing. And we talked about so much, like so much different stuff. And I felt like, I felt like, you know, yeah, they're taking on the hardest third act of a book. The most esoteric thing ever written. Yeah. Good fucking luck. Yeah. Do your best. But yeah. Interesting. Does anything at this point scare you now? Um, it's so funny. I would be like, no, nothing scares no, me. I'm all, all of my, well, all of my fears, all of my childhood fears became shorts on black box TV. Everyone was oh, like, funny. I was literally like picking thorns out of the bottom of my feet. Oh. That's what it felt like. Each one was like a thorn until they were gone. And then, um, and I'm like, my life is good. We're so good. And I have all this thing, this stuff going on and I'm present for my son, which is a priority. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is awesome. And then my landlord was like, I'm selling, you know, I'm going to sell the house. You know, I've been oh, renting for about six years in Mount Washington. He's like, I'm going to sell the house. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh my. Like, like, literally, Kathy couldn't sleep one oh, night. It, oh. Like, couldn't one night couldn't sleep because I was looking on Trulio and Trulia or whatever it's called, something I'd signed up for. And then I was like, oh, my God, the rents are more expensive. LA. I'm going to be yeah. homeless. I'm going to be alone. It's a different world. And yeah. so my solution is like, well, I have friends in Berlin. I have friends. I'm going to go to Idlewild. Like, all these things that are totally not able to happen and it was it was and i was just like panicking and it was the first of november and i'm like busy right now and i wouldn't be able to start really seriously thinking about it until mid-october about just that move and then yesterday uh, andrew andrew irving who we both know i don't know if he was a creative director as well he was my creative director at chillery design that name sounds very yeah. familiar 
um, he has his own company now, but but he like texted me yesterday and he was like, oh, by the way, so I think we're moving the date because we're not going to put the house up till January. So it's like, if you kind of find a place by March, I think we're going to be good. And I was like, I was like, the way it made me relax, I was like, I got to fucking let go of some shit. Like the way, the way I like, I was oh. like, it, it put my life in such turmoil. And so the thing is, is that as much as I love change, like new, new ways of telling storytelling, yeah. uh, storytelling, and new technology, new things, new ways to, to um, evolve as an artist, as a person, like you fuck with my address, it's no bueno. <laughs> and I, yeah. that was like. Yeah, isn't that weird? And I would need that one solid foundation so you can handle all the fucking chaos in life. You know, I mean, the fact that you have all this other chaos probably makes you even less equipped to deal one more piece. It's like I have enough. It is. It is. Come on. (laughs) Well said. But you know, you know, talking about fear, talking about these just you know visceral horrors, actual horrors. I remember reading an article about um, Stephen King when they're asking, what scares you? You know, of all people, what scares Stephen King? And his answer was basically, um, read Pet Cemetery." <sighs> and that's one of the things I don't even want to, I don't even want to verbalize it uh, hardly because it's such a terrifying idea, but th- something happening to a loved one, you know, right. that's, I think that's the deepest, darkest thing. Yeah, sure. and be. you see that in certain movies. You, you mentioned Ari Aster and mm. that movie. His first movie, Hereditary, is a. I think it's an incredible movie. I really think. I it's, do have to watch it. Oh, it's, it's, we we talk about it on a yeah. It's we did a whole favorites. episode about it. It's incredible. Yeah. It's not an easy film to watch. I mean, especially if you have kids, I would think. But it's um. There's so much going on. There's so much going on in that thing in that movie. It's. Uh, I heard the hype about it and everything, but it's. It affects you. There's over the top horror e stuff in it, you know. But it's like The Exorcist, you know, where there's mm-hmm. this, the over the top horror stuff, the head turning around and all that. But then the other stuff is what sticks with you, the haunting things, and I think that's a haunting fear with all of us. But we don't want to. It's like. Remember Stephen King talking about Pet Cemetery? He's like, I almost didn't want to write that book because the idea of it, the central idea of it, is just too much for me to think about. And, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think Tabitha King, his wife, pulled that out of the trash because he yeah. didn't. Yeah. Because he yeah. didn't, he yeah. was so not into it. And it wouldn't come out till later when he had, I think, some deal he was finishing of uh, a distribution deal for his books or when he was starting. I forgot what the, the exact thing is, but. Um, I hadn't read Pet Cemetery because of the subject matter, because I was like, this is too dark. Mm-hmm. And I just read it um, earlier this year. Mm. And I think it's one of my favorite Stephen King books of all time, because it's the only, it's one of the few books where he stays completely true to the subject matter and does not escape from it. And he doesn't let you off the hook. And yeah. there was something... Yeah. It's... It, it's my yeah. favorite of his it, I, too. I, would I think say mine too. Yeah, it's um, it's the ter- it's so terrifying. To and read. it asks those yeah. questions. You know, yeah. it's like the questions, like how, what would you do? You right. know, and in a situation like that, it's like that's one of the things where you see in a horror film, you see people making these choices, and you're like, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. That's a bad choice. You know, you shouldn't have gone in there, or whatever. But this one, it's like when you think about it, it's like. Yeah, I would have gone to the cemetery and dug him up and buried him at that place. You know, it's yeah. it's it's yeah, the yeah. most hor- horrifying thing. But you're looking at it and you're going, 
Yep, I can totally believe that he would do yeah, that. Sure. I would do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen the new Pet Cemetery. There's. I, I don't really think that's it. essential. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I mean, not to. No uh, need. There's or the, the old one. one I would yeah. just. Yeah, that was. A, I might go back and watch the old one, but mm. but the new one was um, was yeah. I just don't think it's essential. Yeah. Gotcha. As Unnecessary. Okay. Just reread the book. You know. Reread the book. The book I don't want to read it. The, yeah. That book had too many things I don't like. It had right. animal death. It had yeah. child death. It's like uh, there's too much in that book. I just it oh, hits it's way too close. So, good. so heavy. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. But it's kind of like like we were talking about hereditary, which you know it's amazing to me that Ari Aster's first movie was this fucking great. Yeah, because it's really. I mean, the guy's channeling something super dark, and he really makes it happen. But it's it's like when you see that, you're like, it's an unpleasant journey Oof. because the people, the, there's so much pain in the yeah. movie that has nothing to do with supernatural or anything scary at all that you're like, just dealing with this dysfunctional family and how it's so hard to watch. And it's very relatable. But the, so beautiful, go, the, the beautiful thing to me about it is the fact that it has those horrendous things mm-hmm. in it. And, it, and he, it's like he knows... There's a there's a skill in directing and shooting and all that, you know, the technical parts of it. Knowing how to tell a story with a camera. Oh god. And, yeah. and yeah. using a camera to tell the story. And what do you put the camera on? And yeah, yeah. In a, in a yeah. scene where something's happening, what do you show the people? And he, the camera is on something in this film a, f- a few times where it's it's showing you something you wouldn't that a, that a normal filmmaker wouldn't be showing yeah, you at that moment. Fresh. The camera is showing you something else, but it's the perfect thing to be looking at. It's a it's a it's something that you're just going, oh my god. There's a scene. I mean, I'm not going to oh, say what happens in yeah. the scene, but there's a horrific thing that happens. So the camera basically stays on this one person's yeah. face, oh. and just this person's reaction, and they're sitting there in shock, and just this long shot of their face, and you know this horrible thing has there's happened. There's a sound effect, and they're like looking. That was the most haunting yeah like horror because in your mind you're filling in all the blanks and you just know what he's thinking and it felt like a really human response because i hate in horror movies when something really horrific happens everybody goes oh ah, ah, and then they kind of get their shit together and they run away or they fight the bad guy and you're like no <laughs> but then you the, would be this you'd be the shell shocked like holy fuck and then the, the camera follows so him home yeah, yeah. follows him to his bedroom follows him to his bed and follows him down eyes. to his. So the movie is about oh. it's about dread. If, if yeah. dread is what you want, you know, if that scares you, the, the, that sense, this is what this movie's about. Master but then there's a supernatural yeah. element to it that I thought was pretty brilliant too. That whole th- there's a weird thing in it. There's a weird supernatural scene that just bluntly happens, mm-hmm. like something that you're you're not expecting. It's not done in a typical way. It's like a séance type of thing, where. All of a sudden, something supernatural is happening, and one of the character, and and you're reacting like the character, like shit, what is this, you know? <laughs> and and then she's like, I can't handle this, and she walks out. out. Yeah. And and she's walking through the parking lot, like, you know, it's it's devastating. It's really good. You should. Great human reactions. I mean, a lot of that's in Midsummer too, where yeah. you feel like you're really seeing real human reaction to things, and you, but, and the ones that happen, like you know. The certain things that happened in that movie where everyone's looking and they're like, ah, is that great? Like seeing it through their eyes is all you almost need. Yeah. You know, I'm so, I'm so good. So good. Stop it's it. a, yeah, Hereditary is one, definitely one to, to don't listen to the hype, you know, just watch it. It's, it's pretty harsh and hardcore as far as a horror film goes. But, um, it's about people that you care about. 
just yeah, as far as filmmaking technique yeah. and how to tell a story with a camera, I think it's a great film. He's a, he's a director I'm really going to keep my eye on. Yeah. He's made two like just perfect films. <laughs> yeah, crazy. agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I heard there's a three hour I was midsummer just say right that. now. I think it's almost four hours. Oh my god! Yeah, the, the director's <laughs> really? cut that he's coming out with. Sometime. What could you possibly put else in that movie? Oh, you do, um, so can I? I want to talk about the the beginning really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a spoiler alert. If you've, I just, I want to say this. If you haven't seen the movie for Midsummer, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, the this is something a friend of mine said that I really think is interesting. I want to get your guys' take on it um, as I talk about this is spoilers. Uh, about the ending and the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. So tune out now. <laughs> Watch the movie. Don't tweet me some shit. I warned you. Now join us. Uh, totally now. spoiled it. And welcome back to the podcast <laughs> after you've watched the film. We edited everything you said. No, go ahead. Okay, so the um, I forget the name of the, of the Swedish foreign exchange student that sort of Roped them all into coming right. to going right. to Sweden. Well, I forget what we'll his name. Sven. We'll call him Sven. We'll call him Sven. What was his name? I... But so he killed her sister and the parents oh. at the beginning, and that's why she had the. Um, and a friend of mine had seen it. He saw this on the second viewing, a second or third viewing. Shout out to Matt Goldman. Um, the uh, gas mask was taped to the face on both sides. Right, which oh. to keep it secured there, but then also the rose crown that she wears at the end that sort of rose crown right. there's a wreath that almost matches it exactly over her picture in her parents' room when they did that long tracking shot across oh. the parents when they were dead. So he killed her, her sister, and her parents to create the inciting incident that he could take advantage of her and bring, and that's why he said, My parents also died in the fire. Because it's the same way that he was brought into the cult. Ah. See, I want to see. I want to see the Pele movie. was his Pele. name. Pele. Because you, you know that he has that stuff in there. Because Hereditary, I saw it maybe four or five times. And there's all kinds of things. Like I want to see Hereditary again. Yeah, yeah. And, and Midsommar is, this, I'm sure, is the same way. Like you're saying, there's all that kind of stuff. The first, the first showing, you're just watching the. F- Watching the film, you know, you're watching what's Hereditary happening. is full of things like that, just full yeah. of these little. I watched it like maybe before we did our podcast. I think I watched it four times. Wow! And I don't usually do that, and but each time I watched it, I remember I kept coming. I kept emailing you guys, <laughs> like, did you see that thing? That actually, there was a shot. I think you noticed a shot of when the kid is in his room. There's a shot of the house from the outside, and you're seeing like the the vapor breath of somebody mm-hmm. and you're hearing Mark. So you don't even realize it's a you know POV until you see this little puff. It looks like just an establishing shot. But then when you watch it again in a different way, after having brilliant. seen the movie, you realize this is some, somebody out there watching him. There's a bunch it's of little creepy. things. Yeah. Oh, I can't, you know what? And I can't wait to watch it. That was the first thing I thought about <laughs> uh, coming out of Midsommar. I was like, you need to go and see. You do. I want you to write to us. A, yeah. Yeah. Write to us when you watch it. Cause I want to see, hear what you You'll say. dig it as a filmmaker. Awesome. Well, it was really wonderful talking to you guys. So today. fun! Yes. We could just talk forever. So you I know we could go. I looked at the on. clock. I was like, "Fuck, it's four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy I was like, crap. "I'll be there for thirty minutes." Longest yeah. episode ever. <laughs> this is a good one, though. Yeah, yeah, no, on you were on. great. It was fantastic. Thanks, so Timmy. inspiring. Will you come back? Will you be on tape saying, "Yes, I'll come back." Yes, of course I'll come back. <laughs> come back and talk about hereditary. <laughs> this was this was a, was a wonderful conversation. It's very I, fun. I, I appreciate you guys um, inviting me, and it's it's great to see. 
it's great to see you again, Kathy, yeah. and to meet you guys as well. This was really, really cool. And it was like very fun and open and honest. And now I am licking your butthole. So let me just fucking stop <laughs> talking. End it. Well, thanks awesome. for, thanks for yeah. giving everyone a, a crash course in how to succeed in filmmaking and do your, exactly. follow your dreams. And, and yeah. check out his YouTube channel, Black yeah. Box. Black Box Black TV. Box TV, TV. TV, yes. Yep. It's well worth it. And we look forward to the Nightmare Tapes coming October yeah. 11th. Okay, awesome. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Excellent. Thank you. All right, take care. Okay. This is the Cinemondo Podcast, signing off.